Amen. Good morning, Kavanaugh Church. How's everyone doing? Hey, there's a lot of truth behind that song. I don't know if you caught it, but there is no one greater than Jesus. Amen. And I can't think of a better person to bring your success stories to and the times when we're not so successful. I can't think of a better person to bring your failures to and your burdens, your happiness, and your joyful moments to than Jesus himself. He knows us, he sees us, and he wants us to know that through him and with him, we can be victors. Amen? Amen? And I hope you've come ready and expecting good things today because I believe Jesus has something special for us today. I believe that through the listening and through the preaching of his word that we can grow and be an, um, an awesome church and an awesome people. So are you ready? Are you ready? Good. All right. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. And we're going to ask God's anointing for our services today. So good to see everyone. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Again, so thankful that you could bring us all together today. Thank you for giving us a beautiful day and, 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 and granting us another Sunday where we can come and worship together as a church family and grow with one another. Lord, through the preaching reward today, I, I, I pray for salvation. I pray for renewal. And I pray for freedom. And as, as we hear your message, allow us to be able to release and receive everything that you want us to have. God, we love you so much. In your name, amen. You can be seated. Amen. Brother Nathan's going to stay up here. Aren't you, man? Good deal. Fantastic. Got the Barlow family with me today. Give them a big hand, would you? This is an awesome, awesome family. They are so cool. Of course, Brother Nathan is our teen pastor, and uh, he, he couldn't do it without Shawnee. We know that. And God has blessed this family with three amazing boys. And today we're going to dedicate. There you go. We're dedicating you today, Elias. It's going to be fantastic. Nathan's uh, parents came, and uh, they, they told them when they got here this morning, hey, we're going to have a baby dedication today. Y'all can come stand on the stage with us, and I love that. That's fantastic. So here's what I want you to know, uh, Nathan and Shawnee. There, there's, there's a verse that just kept coming back to me over and over as I thought about this dedication. It's found in Psalms 127, and it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who try to build it. Brother Johnny, I know there, there are all kinds of interpretations of that, but guys, I believe I believe it's true with our own homes, our own houses. We try to do our best to raise our families and raise our kids and, and to have family and unity, but unless God is the very center of your home, you're building a house on sand, and it's going to collapse. So our homes have to be built on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And God has blessed you with three amazing boys. Jedediah, raise your hand. There he is, the one and only Jed. No, no lie, this is about the smartest kid I've ever met in my life. You can, you can have conversations with him, and he's way above your intelligence, I'm telling you that. And then we got Abram. Abram, you're good, man. You're a good boy, and love you, man. Yes, yes, indeed. But today is all about, yes, today is all about Elias. Uh, he's about to be one year old, isn't he? Coming up on his first birthday, and today we're going to dedicate him to the Lord. And the passage I want to read to y'all is that Deuteronomy passage, D6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And Mishani, I think this applies to you, maybe even more than Nathan. Anytime you got these three guys around you in the house doing stuff, and, and I, can y'all imagine raising three boys? Every day, I would think, now I don't know, I would think, Joy, you can help me with it. Every day it's kind of like a tornado going through your house, isn't it? It just all depends, is it going to be an F1 or an F5 tornado that day, all right? So, so my challenge to you is, Shawnee, every moment that God gives you, use it as a teaching moment to teach these three young men about Jesus and his love for them and their love for Jesus. And Nathan, you know, I've got, got to talk to you right here as, you know, not necessarily your boss, but, but as, a, as a work partner in your life. You, Nathan's job is to pour into the life of our teenagers, to which he does very good. I'm so thankful that we have a great team pastor. And, and not only does he pastor our teens, it, he pastors their parents as well, which is the hard part of the job, all right? So, but but here's, here's the deal, I'm going to tell you this. Those, those guys you pour into, those girls, you, that, is, that is important. It's your calling, it's your job. But this is more important. Don't, don't forget in pouring into their lives, you've got to pour into these guys' lives. Uh, my pastor years ago gave me this great piece of advice. He says, Willie, you're going you're gonna to go to churches, you're going to leave churches, churches come and go, but the only people you take with you is your family, okay? And I say that not to him because he knows it. I'm saying it to this church. Y'all need to realize he's got a family, and his priority is taking care of his family and ministering to his family and give him the freedom to do that. Will you do that? And we'll all be successful when that takes place. So there's my little sermonette for you, man, and I, I know you're good with that. These guys are so important. And y'all are doing a wonderful job raising three godly young men. And I'm so proud of these boys. There you go, Jed. Thank you, man. This guy knows Greek. He knows the Greek alphabet. So they're working on Hebrew alphabet, aren't you? So wonderful. Nathan and Shawnee in presenting Elias for dedication you not only signify your faith in Jesus Christ, but also your desire that he comes to faith in Jesus and follows God's plan for his life. In order to accomplish this great task, it will be your duty as parents to, number one, teach him the fear of the Lord early. Number two, to watch over his education so that he is not led astray. Number three, to direct his youthful mind to the Holy Scriptures and his little feet, which he is wearing shoes. That's cool. Are they Tom's? Yes. They're Toms, little Toms, to the Lord's house. I'm glad they're not flip-flops. So that's just joking, man. To restrain him from all harmful associates and habits and as much as lies within you to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So will you as a family endeavor to do this with God's help? If so, say we will. Fantastic. Church, I turn it over to you now. Will you come alongside uh, Nathan and Shawnee and help them raise these three boys, especially Elias, because it's his day, to find, follow, and finish God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for his life. Will you do that? Will you help them say, we will? We will. Fantastic. Got a few things for you. I uh, got a beautiful certificate uh, about this day, and uh, I'm handing it to you, but it's really for Shawnee. And then also this uh, letter that I've written to Elias. This is to you, Elias Paul Barlow. 
to be opened on your 18th birthday in 17 years from now. Yeah, you're with me, aren't you? So, and he's looking so good. He's got suspenders and a tie on. He could preach today, couldn't he? So, put this in a safe place, and when he turns 18, make sure that he opens it. Uh, it's just a letter reminding him of what we did today, and if he's not already accepted Jesus, I encourage him to do that. Then I got one more thing, and Nathan, I'm going to give you this for sure and charge you as this little boy's daddy to take this word and to teach your sons the word of truth, which will truly change their lives. And I commission you with that, brother. Thank you. Elias, you going to come here? Gonna come? Look at him. He knows where his bread's buttered right here. Just pastor. Isn't this a good-looking boy? What a great-looking family. Would you, would you pray with us? Brother Johnny is going to say a prayer of dedication, and right before he does, Elias... I dedicate you to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is my prayer that you serve Jesus and that you follow his will for your life. Brother Johnny, would you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we're so uh, appreciative to be here today with this great family. God, we slipped this fine little man up. God, we just pray that Elias will find and follow you, Lord. We pray for him, Lord. We pray for his family. God, we're so thankful that he's here with us, that we get to be a part of his life. We ask you now, God, just to continue to bless him and all that he goes through. God, we know you'll be there for him. We just pray for him and his life and his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, buddy. God bless you, man. Give this little boy a big hand, would you? Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Love y'all so much. Love you. Love you, church. Why don't y'all stand up? We're going to continue to worship the Lord. And I just encourage you guys to, uh, let's, let's have more babies that we can dedicate to the Lord, all right? Let's sing together.
love, aren't you? And this last song that we're going to sing, it talks about the goodness of God. And it is one of my favorite songs. Um, before, I, before we sing it, I want to read some verses from Psalm 145. It says, Great is the Lord, and most worthy of our praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is good to all, and He has compassion on all He has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. We don't say extol very much, but that means to praise enthusiastically, okay? Your people praise you enthusiastically. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises, and he's faithful in all that he does. Amen? Amen. Amen. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and he's faithful in all that he does. Verse 21 says, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise His holy name forever and ever. Amen. These verses just remind us about how great our God is, and that He's good not just to a few of us, but to all of us, and that He finds us wherever we are and shares that goodness. And it says that He is faithful, that He is trustworthy, and that He is righteous. So this morning, use your lips and speak of and sing of praise to our King.
we're just overwhelmed by your goodness to us. Lord, we know that we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But God, that you willingly pour out your goodness, your favor all over us. Lord, be thankful that you are a righteous God and that you are faithful. And no matter what we go through, Father, your promises are true and you are trustworthy. And we can come to you and we can find you and know that you will do what you say you do. Lord, we praise you in this house today. We use our lips that you gave us and with our hearts full this morning and overwhelmed by your goodness. We honor you in this place. We praise you. You alone are worthy. We extol you. We praise you enthusiastically today, God, because of who you are. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give the praise team a big hand, would you? They do a phenomenal job. And today, today they've led us right into the throne of grace. And uh, the Holy Spirit is here. And uh, he's wanting to speak to you. And so my prayer is, uh, Lord, as I speak on the outside, may your Holy Spirit speak directly into the hearts of everyone listening today. And that is my prayer for you this morning. When you sat down in your chair, I hope that you noticed there were some little cards there. If you didn't notice, you need to be more observant <laughs> as to where you're sitting down. Uh, these are invite cards, okay? And so they're not for you to put on your refrigerator to remind you of the egg hunt and Easter services here at Kavanaugh in a couple of weeks. No, they are for you to take and to invite somebody to come to church on that day. So will you do that? Will you take your invite cards? Okay, I've got 10 people. Let's do more better than that. Will you take your invite card and use it this week to invite people to come to our Easter service? Fantastic. Really, it's two reminders. We're going to have a big egg hunt on Saturday. Brother Johnny's going to put like 1,243,000 eggs out on this uh, lot that we own. Uh, and uh, let kids find Easter eggs. And then the next day we have two services as we worship Jesus and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. I'm so glad that you're here. We had a phenomenal service at 9 o'clock, really a, a big crowd. Um, turn the video off. Y'all really look better than the 9 o'clock crew. Okay? <laughs> so uh, thanks for showing up today. Glad you're here. And, and, and I know, I mean, God's here. You know, I really don't even have to preach. We could probably just have the invitation and, and you'd come because God, God is speaking this morning. And, uh, and thank you, praise team, for, for leading us into his throne room of grace. But I do need to preach because of the subject matter. I'm, I'm going through this little mini-series on women who met Jesus. And I literally, Gail, I am blown away at the conversations that Jesus had with, with different women. You know what Jesus did? Jesus elevated womanhood because Jesus knows the value of women. 
and he loves women. And so we learn from these women. And you know what, guys? You would do well to learn from women too. Boy, I'm tossing that one out there. You, you would be smart if you learned from women, right? Uh, th- th- really, really. There are some amazing ladies in this congregation that I, I love to hear from. You are so wise, and I just soak up your wisdom. There's also a, a list of women that I'm afraid of. I'm just being honest with you. I got a short list, Jason, of women I am terrified of. And uh, I'm not going to read that list in front of you today, but I mean, there's just women, Jason, I'm just, woo, man, what? I'm watching myself. Women are valuable, and we learn a great deal from them. And today, we're going to learn a, an amazing lesson on who Jesus is and what Jesus can do for us. My, my sermon is entitled, Thirsty. Anybody thirsty? Well, you shouldn't be right now because there's a coffee bar out there and, and water fountains everywhere. But, you know, on, on a hot summer day, there's nothing like a big old glass of ice water, you know. Uh, I grew up in Midland, Texas, out in the country. We lived uh, several miles north of Midland, just out in the country. Everybody had at least an acre. And so on, on a summer day, on a Saturday, I would just leave the house either on my bicycle or my go-kart or my minibike. And I would be gone all day long. Uh, And my parents really didn't care where I was or what I was doing. They knew that uh, dinner time I would come back home. And so I would just be out, you know, in the country riding my mini bike for all day. And if I got thirsty, all I had to do is go up to somebody's house and knock on their door and ask for a glass of water. And typically, if the woman was home, she would, she would bring out a big old glass of ice-cold water, and I'd sit there on the porch and just drink it. If the man of the house answered the door, he'd say, there's the water hose, just get you a drink out of the spigot. And Ronnie, that's what we did, turn on the water hose, let the hot water run out till it got cool, and, and then you'd just drink it out of that green hose. Really, I think that's the best cure for COVID or any other disease. <laughs> is drinking out of a green water hose. Anybody with me? (laughs) Nothing like a good glass of cold water on a hot day. And so if you've come to this place today thirsty, I'm here to tell you your thirst can be quenched. You know, life can turn on a dime. A phone call. A text message. An encounter with somebody on the street can literally change your life. A man and a woman met at a well on a hot afternoon in Samaria. We don't know the woman's name. The man was Jesus Christ. And their brief encounter, their conversation, not only changed this lady's life, but everyone in the small town that she lived in as well. I'm not going to read all of John chapter 4 to you today, the story of the woman at the well. I would encourage you to go home and read it for yourself But we are going to pick up on several verses of this encounter between Jesus, the living water, and this woman who needed her thirst quenched. It happened on a hot summer day about noontime. Jesus met this woman at the well, asked her for a drink of water, and then he went into this conversation with her about living water and how that living water could transform her life. He then told her everything about her life. 
And that's interesting, and we'll come to it. She didn't like that conversation, didn't want to go there, and so she tried to have a a religious debate or conversation with Jesus. He didn't debate her. He just talked about what true worship really was, and then he told her who he really was. And it changed her life. So let's just pick up with the connection between Jesus and this woman. Verse 3, which I don't have on the screen, tells us Jesus left Judea and he was headed up to Galilee. We pick up the story in verse number 4, which is on the screen. We are told that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, geography is an all-important in understanding what happened this day. In Jesus' day, there were three regions stacked on top of each other. The northern region was Galilee, and the middle was Samaria, and on the bottom or the south was Judea. The easiest and quickest way to go to Galilee from Judea was just straight north up through Samaria. But most Jews refused to travel that road. What they would do is cross the Jordan River, go north, and then recross the Jordan River going west and end up in Galilee. It was inconvenient. It was out of the way. But that's what most Jews did. They refused to go through Samaritan territory. Many Jews took this long route because they looked down on the Samaritans as being religious and racial half-breed heretics half-breed heretics first service i broke out into (laughs) half-breed and nobody got it i don't don't think they listened to the music i listened to growing up but anyway they that's what they thought of them as being half-breeds So why did Jesus have to go through Samaria when all the other Jews avoided that route or at least went through it as quickly as possible? The answer is very simple and yet very profound. Jesus went there because he intended to meet this woman at the well. Nothing happens by chance in this story. In fact, every detail is part of the outworking of God's plan. This woman was not looking for Jesus on that day. All she wanted was a bucket full of water. But Jesus was looking for her. And thus, we learn a really important lesson, Christians. You have to go to Samaria if you want to reach Samaritans. Though she did not know it, this woman was about to have a divine encounter with living water. This teaches us a very important principle on evangelism or outreach. Reaching people for Christ is not always comfortable. It's not always easy. At times it's very difficult. But you've got to go where the people are if you want to reach them. Jesus intended to save this woman, and he had to go to Samaria in order to do it. She came alone to the well at noontime. Now, this was potentially very dangerous for her. It's it's in the heat of the day at noontime. Uh, She would have to work. She could have had a heat stroke. It was not physically safe for a woman to go to the well at noontime because they would be by themselves. So it was highly unusual 
Women usually came to the well early in the morning or late in the evening. And they would come as neighbors, as a group. And and they would turn it into a social event as they drew water for the day or for the night. They they would do what women do. They They would just visit and talk and catch up and I guess gossip. I don't know. But they would do that. So the fact that this woman came alone really stands out. Danny, I think what it means is that she had a checkered past. And everybody in the town knew of her past. They knew they knew what she was trying to hide. And I don't know, but I'm just kind of imagining that some of these ladies, being as pious as they were, ostracized this woman and didn't allow her into their group. Or perhaps the flip side of it, she had heard all of their talking. She knew the rumors. She knew what these ladies were saying about her behind her back. So she didn't want to be around them in public. I've tried to debate in my mind. Do I hang out here for a minute? Because I don't care how pious anybody else is in this room you know what we all have a past we all got junk in our trunk and and yeah some of it may be worse than others but all of it's bad I mean, there are things in my past that I, I don't want you to know about and I'm certainly not going to talk in public about those things things that I am absolutely ashamed of but I'm not alone. We all do. This conversation between Jesus and this lady begins with a question from Jesus. He simply asked her, will you give me a drink of water? <laughs> he was thirsty and knew it. She was thirsty and didn't know it. The woman did not come to the well seeking Jesus that day, but Jesus came to the well looking for her. We learn from this that our Lord is without prejudice. Amen for that. It doesn't matter to him that other Jews refuse to go through Samaria. Jesus welcomes all and shuns none. Praise the Lord. This is the simplicity of his plan of salvation. It's like taking a cup of cold water on a hot day. All you have to do is ask for it and he's going to supply it. The second thing that we notice is this conversation. Now, I'm about to read verse 10, but before I get there, let me tell you what happened in verse 9. This woman asked Jesus, how how is it that you, a Jew, would ask a drink from me? And Jesus answers in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, there is a triple surprise in this passage. First of all, number one, that a Jew would even speak to a Samaritan. Okay? It didn't happen in Jesus' day. Number two, that a man would speak to a woman in public that he did not know. And then number three, that a Jew would drink from a Samaritan's cup. In the first century, it was almost unheard of 
for a man to speak to a woman in public in these circumstances. And asking for a drink of water was even more unusual because all the Jewish rabbis taught that it was a sin to use a utensil, a fork, a knife, a cup that had been touched by a sinful Samaritan. When Jesus offers her living water, I think he's being deliberately ambiguous because the phrase could also mean running water. He's trying to incite curiosity with, without really making her suspicious. So he says to her, in essence, you have come here for water. I've got water. I've got some water that you've never dreamed of before. And really what he's doing is leading her step by step into saving faith. First of all, he's going to show her that she really does have a need. Then he's going to reveal who he is totally change her life he is going to not only quench her physical thirst he is going to banish her spiritual thirst that brings us to this confrontation the woman says to him sir if that be the case give me some of this water so that I'll never have to drink again or ever have to come to this cotton picking well again Again, understand, she was ostracized. It was painful for her to go to the well. It was a constant reminder of her past. This is what Jesus responded back in verse 16 through 18. He said to her, or told her, go call your husband, and then y'all come back. I have no husband, she replied to him. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. You know what Jesus does? He opens a can of worms. You're thinking, man, Jesus, you're just picking on this woman. You're being mean to this woman. You're trying to start a fight with this woman. She's one of those you need to be afraid of. Nah, not really. How in the world could a woman in that day have five husbands? Even today, it's unusual, but you know what? She did. So what happened? Did they all die? Well, possibly, but not likely. Had she been divorced all five times? Could have been. Or probably the case, she could have been abandoned which was an all-too-common practice in those days. Men, if they got mad at their wives, would just abandon them and leave them on their own. It's funny how things don't change. It's probable some combination of both death, divorce, and abandonment. But here's what we also know about her past. She is now living with a man that she's not married to. And so why would Jesus bring this up? I, th I think he brings it up for two reasons. Number one, he was letting this woman know he knew all about her. She didn't want to talk to him about it. She certainly wasn't going to bring it up to him, but he let her know really quick he knew all about her. He knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. And could I just pause for a second and tell you Jesus knows 
about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. The things you have tried to hide in your closet, the skeletons you keep stuffing in there, Jesus already knows about them. The things you refuse to talk about, even to your spouse, those things that keep you up at night that you won't, you won't talk to anyone about, Jesus knows. So why in the world, why in the world wouldn't we bring them up to Jesus? Because he's the only one who can really fix the problems. So he lets this woman know right off the bat, hey, I know everything about you, the good, the bad. Cool thing about it, by the end of this story, she's out telling everybody, hey, this, dude, this man, he has told me everything I've ever done in my life. He's got to be the Messiah. I think the second reason he brought this up is that he was exposing this woman's lifelong pursuit of happiness. Evidently, she has entered one failed relationship after another. And each time, I'm sure she thought or said, this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the man who is going to bring me real happiness. And each time, she was gravely disappointed, even to the point where at this moment in her life story, she's not even going to risk marriage. But the words of Jesus reveal something even deeper than that. I think they reveal to us her deep-seated loneliness, which was really her problem. There was a hole in her heart that no man had been able to fill. Far from being irrelevant, these words of Jesus go to the very core of her problem and to the very core of our problem as well. We've been raised to believe that if only we find the right person, if I can just find the right man or the right woman, I'm going to be happy. So we jump from one relationship to another, or we take a quick trip to Temptation Island, hoping against all hope that this time it's going to be different, that this time we're going to make it, that this time we're going to be happy. But can I tell you, no human relationship is going to satisfy all the needs that you have in your life. We are spiritual beings created by God to have a relationship with God. There is this God-shaped vacuum or hole inside the human heart that no other person can fill. We were made to know God, and until we know him through his son, Jesus Christ, we are doomed to restlessness and despair. No other person can fill up that void in your heart. And let me just quickly add to that, nor can any other thing. No amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of power, no amount of things will ever fill up the hole that is in your heart. It is a God-shaped hole. So you got to step back and ask yourself, well, how did Jesus really feel about this woman? Did he really care about her? I mean, did he really love her? And the answer is yes, he does love her. Here is the wonder of God's grace. Only somebody who really loves you can look at your past without blinking. Real love means knowing the truth about somebody else and reaching out to help them anyway. 
Jesus knows this woman's past, her sordid past, her current condition, and he wants to help her, but he cannot help her until she gets beyond the shame and admits the truth. She's almost, but not quite saved. (laughs) She's near the kingdom, but she's not in the door yet. And Jesus laid bare what she thought she could keep hidden. Jesus reveals to her the truth about her life. And you know what? When somebody does that, when somebody opens that lid, we get really uncomfortable. When somebody wants to talk about those things in our life that we need to change, we don't want to talk about it. We want to change the subject. Come on, man. I'm talking to you now. And so that's what this woman does. She wants to change the subject. Sir, she said, I I see that you are a prophet. Now, our fathers worshiped on the mountain that is here in Samaria, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So where should we worship? You see what she's doing? She's trying to change the subject. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He tells her about worship and what real worship really is. Spirit and truth. And that's why he says this in verse 23. He says, there is a time coming, and it has already come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. (laughs) Now, now, it's now clear to this woman that, that she has met a most unusual man. Because he knows her past. She thinks he's got to be a prophet. And since he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan, she begins to engage in this theological debate. And that day, Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. Samaritans worshipped on this mountain in Samaria. And she wants to know which mountain is the right one for worship. But Jesus doesn't bother debating her. He simply tells her, lady, there's a time coming when geography doesn't matter. And I want to say to you, church, God is greater. God is greater than geography. He is greater than race or class or sex or religious tradition. He wants worship based on truth and also on the wholehearted personal commitment of him. You see, religious activity doesn't count. Because you can be busy for Jesus and Jesus not have your heart. You can be busy doing the work of the ministry. Anybody can go through the motions and still have a heart that doesn't worship God. They have a heart that is filled with anger or bitterness or profanity or hatred or lust or greed or envy or even pride. No, the worship God accepts must be based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and offered to him from a humble heart of worship. If what God wants is spirit and in truth, guess what? We could give him that. 
All of us can. This is God's equal access provision. Salvation is not about going to a certain mountain or doing certain things. It's all about trusting Jesus as your Savior. And slowly, the truth is beginning to dawn in this woman's mind. She has heard the Messiah will someday come to earth. So imagine her surprise when Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now what an amazing statement from Jesus. Here he plainly claims he is the Messiah. And no doubt this woman is blown away by that. She came from, for some water in the middle of a hot day. And what she ends up doing is meeting the living water of life face to face. And that brings us to the confession. I want you to see this in verses 28 and 29. It says, leaving her water jar behind, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, Ewan's come. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman is converted somewhere between verses 26 and 27. How do we know? Because she leaves her water pot and goes and tells everybody about Jesus. I'm struck on how little this woman truly understands. Here's all she knows. She says, this man knows me. He knows everything I've ever done. Well, church, that's not exactly quoting the Apostles' Creed is it? She went on to say, I believe he's the Messiah. And again, that is not exactly the four spiritual laws. She's not a very likely witness at all. Most of us would have wanted her to at least go through connect class, (laughs) a new converts class, to read a little bit of the Bible and, and understand a little bit more. But you know what? God uses those who are willing to be used. When Jesus gives you living water, you've got to share it with somebody. God uses those who are willing to be used by him. And that brings us to the end of this story in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that little town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. And what was it? He told me everything I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he did so for two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Here's a lesson in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One single woman with inadequate knowledge and just a mustard seed of faith brings her whole town to faith in Jesus Christ amazing she never attended any classes she never read any books she just met Jesus and her life was transformed and she could not stop talking about him that forced me to ask a question just how much do you have to know before you can be saved I mean, really, how much does a person have to know before they get saved? Apparently, only two things. 
that you're a sinner and that Jesus can be your Savior. If you know you're a sinner and you're willing to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what? You can be saved. You can fill in all the other blanks afterward. You can go to those classes. You can read those books. But, but that's all you need right there. In the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. It's not where you've been, but where you're going that matters. Are you with me? This woman had a checkered past. Her past was littered with bad choices and mistakes and sin. Her present condition was pretty bad too. But you know what? That day, none of that mattered because Jesus changed the course of her life. And he can do the same thing for you. Her future became bright because of Jesus. John 4 teaches us that Jesus does his best work on people that others won't even give the time of day to. He specializes in forgotten people because they're hurting so bad they're willing to listen to him. None of the other Jews, even his disciples, would have given this woman the time of day. But Jesus cares. Jesus cares about you. I really kind of think when you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, you're going to see that heaven is populated with all kinds of earthly rejects, of which I am one. So, don't ever give up on anybody. I'm sure not giving up on you because Jesus hasn't given up on you. And I, 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 I know you caught this earlier, but I, I got to go back to this again. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. Jesus can change all of that. You don't give up on other people because Jesus hasn't given up on other people. And you don't stop praying for people. Because let me tell you, Jesus wants to reach them. Don't ever stop sharing the good news. Because no one is so sinful they can't be saved. Again, that's where we are. You've got your past. I've got mine. I told the people in the first service, if you know, if we were real honest and just transparent and we just vomited out all of our bad deeds up here today, we would have a pretty big cesspool of sin. Come on, give me that. You better believe it. But Jesus can change all of that. Just like he did for that woman Nobody in this room is so sinful that Jesus can't change your life today. So let me just summarize the few things we've learned from this wonderful story. No one is too sinful to be saved. Amen. 
Amen. That can happen for you today. Number two, no one is so lost that the Lord cannot find them. I don't care where you've been hiding. Jesus goes right through your hometown. And number three, no one who meets Jesus will ever be the same again. This lady sure wasn't. And if he can change her, he sure can change you. One of the reasons I love stories like this is because they're just, they're just there. I mean, this is so obvious what, what is happening here and what's taking place. And so when we come to the invitation, it's real obvious what this invitation is. If you are like this woman, which all of us have been, Jesus came here today to meet you. It's, it's not by chance that you're here today. It's a divine appointment. And if you're here without Jesus, your life can be transformed today. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner because you are. B, believe Jesus is the only one who can save you. He is. And C, confess him as Lord of your life. If you've never done that, I'm, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come and have the best day of your life ever. It changed by his grace, his power, and his mercy. Second part of this invitation is this, and I think it is so obvious. If we're going to reach people for Jesus, we've got to go where they are. So leave the sanctimonious attitude behind. Get out of your pious church chair and get out there where people are. Don't use your invite card to invite somebody who's already saved and in a church. Use your invite card to invite somebody who's never been saved, who doesn't go to church, and who is perhaps a little bit different than you are. That means you're going to have to get out there where they are. Maybe you have people like that in your own family. You need to be up here today praying for them and praying that God would give you opportunities to invite others to him. Others of you are here, and man, the world has knocked you down so low this past week. There's no way except up, and that up is here at the altar asking for his help in your life. Would you come and pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, for those who need salvation, I pray that they would come this morning and receive your gift of salvation. Lord, for those who are away from you, may they come home. Lord, for those of us who, who need to be about your business, who need to go through Samaria to encounter some Samaritans, may we, may we do that this week and may we come this morning and ask for your help direction and courage to do so lord for others who just need to come and spend a little time with you at the altar give them freedom to do it this morning we ask it in jesus name amen would you stand with heads bowed eyes closed we've opened up our altars and we invite you to come and pray if god is leading you to come don't hesitate don't wait don't care what anybody else thinks you come right now as they sing you come
So don't delay. Come on, come on. It's going to be better if you come. So just come on. heads bowed and eyes closed let me ask you something if you're out there today and you just you you just feel like you need prayer and you want me to pray for you I'm not going to come to you talk to you embarrass you call you out publicly will not do that but I do want to pray for you so if that's you would you just lift up your hand and by doing so say preacher pray for me leave it up just for a second because I'm going to scan the whole crowd here and I see I see I see I see I'm going to pray for you, and then I want you to pray for each other in this room. We got a phone call from the Brazel family this morning, and they ask for special prayer for Ralph. He's having a very, very difficult day. So church, would you join me as we pray for Ralph Brazel? Also pray for Wayne Davis, a great man in our church who's very sick in the hospital. And then we're praying for Luke Brewer, a young teenage boy in our church who's having uh, leg surgery this next week. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for these who have come to the altar for prayer. And dear Lord, right now specifically, I pray for everyone who lifted up their hand with a special need. Dear God, I pray that you meet that need as only you can. Give each of us the assurance, dear Lord, that you love us, that you care for us, and that you're doing something in our life. We lift up Ralph, Wayne, and Luke to you. I pray to God that you administer healing to them. Thank you for this church and these people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Would you be seated for just a moment? Amen. God's good, isn't he? What a great story, John chapter 4. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Thank you, woman at the well. And go home and read that story in its entirety. When you walk out of the room today, make sure you drop your offering off in one of those black boxes. We would appreciate it. 6.30 tonight, we've got uh, Brother Stacy online teaching a Bible lesson. You can tune into that. Wednesday night, we have Connect Class number two. Now, I was, I was, I've been talking big, saying we're going to do all three Connect classes in two Wednesday nights. We can't do it. Uh, 
I, I, you know, my wife told me from the very beginning, there's no way you can do that. There's no way you can do that. I really thought I could, but I can't. And so we're going to have to have three sessions of Connect class. So this next Wednesday night, by the way, she's, she's on my list. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, so you, see if y'all are paying attention here. This next Wednesday night, Connect class number two. If, if you're thinking about joining Kavanaugh, we want you to be here on Wednesday night to hear about what we believe. So I'm going to be talking doctrine, okay, and theology, and even some of those distinctives that make us free will Baptists. Come, it's, it's going to be a, a good night. Then the next week is the week before Easter, okay? And so we're not going to have Wednesday night church that week. We're going to have Thursday night communion. It's going to be called an upper room service, all right? And I know that's different. We usually don't meet on Thursday night. If you can make it, please come. We're just going to assemble in here like they did in Jesus' day on a Thursday night in the upper room, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. In, in, in Christian terms, it's called Monday Thursday. We don't use that term, but it's the Thursday before Easter, the Thursday before the resurrection, when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room and he instituted the Lord's Supper. So the week before Easter, not this Wednesday, the next week, we're not going to have Wednesday night church, we're going to have Thursday communion service. Are you, did that sink in? Then the following Wednesday night, we'll have Connect class number three, how you can get connected and be involved in Kavanaugh Church. We good with that? Well, fantastic. If you're not, complain to Miss Angie about it. So, I know. There you go. Isn't that great? I'm going to leave it at that. Get out of here.